And then you have to do the thing that you actually sold, which is a completely different <laughs> skill. <laughs> so that's incredible. Sell the work and then you have to do the work. Yeah. yeah. And then like... Hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn, here at the Portfolio Career Podcast. We help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Joy Batra. Joy has been freelancing for 10 years on the side, and she's the author of a brand new book called The Freelance Mindset, Unleashing Your Side Hustles for Better Work, Play, and Life. We got together for a wonderful conversation in New York, and I love the way that she talks about how freelancing is similar to entrepreneurship. Um, In the book, she also talks about portfolio careers as well, Um, and this was just a really great conversation. We got personal and open about a couple things as well. So I hope you enjoy it. As always, this episode with Timestamp Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my Substack called Portfolio Career and also sign up for my free podcasting course as well. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Joy. Cool. Uh, Joy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. In person in New York. Yes. So exciting. (laughs) Um, all right. So lots of different places to start, but I am curious about, um, what did you love about kind of interviewing people for the book? It was amazing to meet so many different freelancers across like the widest varieties of careers I've ever seen. So we are talking people who were roofers, baristas, dancers. Uh, there's this one woman who was a pharmacist, an actor, a photographer, and a dancer at the same time. And these wild combinations of careers that you can have simultaneously in one portfolio, which I know resonates with you and, and yeah. uh, what's top of mind. But just understanding how all of these people have independently come to live this portfolio career life that taps into all the different sides of their passions, their skill sets, their talents, and also allows them to find a way to create stability and also chase their dreams. It was phenomenal to hear their stories and their journey, how each person stumbled into it and found that it was really working for them. And if not, what they needed to iterate to get there. Yeah. Um, how did you decide like on who you mentioned the kind of the eclectic group there? How did you decide or and how did you find some of these people? I know we were talking about cold emails before, but um, yeah, how did you decide on who you wanted to chat with? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the cold email day. (laughs) (laughs) They really lead to some interesting places. Uh, So a bunch of those were actually cold emails. And if you look at the very first story, which is this phenomenal man, David Dimitri, uh, he is a clown, but he also runs the One Man Circus. And he's a Juilliard graduate who used to walk the high wire for the Met Opera and then thought, you know what? After doing 10 years at the circus, it was, I think, Big Apple and a couple of other circuses. He said, I want to do my own thing, like like a true portfolio careerist, a a true freelance answer. He said, let me do everything that I can. And so his dad was a a mime and he trained with Marcel Marceau. But anyway, the two of them sat down and said, why don't you do everything that you're capable of, which was an entire circus in itself. Uh, And he he created this thing, which then uh, led to a review in the Washington Post and then led to a cold email from me (laughs) knocking on his door like, hello, please talk to me about your life. Uh, and, and he was kind enough to oblige. So there were a handful of those, uh, a handful of people that I have met kind of through social media or following their work. And then uh, one door kind of leads to another. So as you meet somebody who's in a portfolio career, asking them who they know who also has a career that they admire or they find interesting, and then re- getting recommendations to them, mm. uh, it just led me down some really fantastic rabbit holes and, and led me to people that I might not have otherwise gotten to meet. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Um, and... Yeah, it's, uh, and, and so the book just came out like literally like two days ago, um, 
which is really cool and special to be here with you. Um, you mentioned your dad, um, and you talked about um, your dad in the book as well. Um, how do you think your dad helped kind of shape some of the ideas in the book? Yeah, really understanding my dad's perspective has been, well, I mean, the journey of a lifetime. Like, we had a very close relationship, and uh, unfortunately, he got sick when I was a teenager. He got a disease called ALS, and uh, he had a very slow form of the disease, so it's a neurological disease. And so for about nine years, he was getting progressively weaker physically, but his mind was still fresh. And so we would have these great conversations and you know, talk about the career and the future and, and all of you know the good life things. Uh, and he, as an immigrant, really valued the idea of stability and making it in a new country. Um, he, along with my mom, had immigrated to the States from India. And so, I mean, as you might imagine, there was some talk of becoming a doctor, and that was very quickly squashed <laughs> by me. <laughs> and then engineer was next on their list, and I was like, no, maybe no. Uh, but then lawyer was something that seemed interesting to me, and they seemed excited about it. And I was like, okay, like this seems like a, a cool path. It's um, something that my family likes, something I can do well. I saw lawyers on TV, and I was like, yeah, that looks awesome. But uh, my dad, as I got kind of closer to this idea of becoming a lawyer, I was about to graduate college, and then it was becoming real that I'm going to go to law school and maybe uh, take this path for real, for real. And I said, oh, no, like, I like it, but what if I want to do something else, too? I don't know if this is all of me. Um, can I can I try something else? And I had started to raise this conversation, oh, gosh, days after I graduated law school, which sadly was also the week my dad was hospitalized for the last time with, uh, with ALS and pneumonia. And he was not ready to have this conversation about changing the career path right on the cusp of security. And so he said, you know, we, we talk, talked about this, like, Law school sounds good. So I thought, okay, I'll take the LSAT. And I did. Um, long story short, made it to law school. And uh, my dad passed away before I, I got there. But once I got to law school, I had a bit of a professional identity crisis. And I thought, okay, I do like the law thing, but I like so many other things also. How do I fit them all in? And so there was a journey of trying to figure out how can I really do my own thing, use my talents, and then also find stability at the same time. And eventually I realized that freelancing was that path for me because I could do work that was one side of my brain, also a little bit more lucrative, and then also have time for things that were more creative but maybe didn't pay as mm -hmm. well. And that was how I found both the freedom and balance. But what I didn't realize about my dad was his entire journey, he was struggling between these two same uh, tensions between finding stability and finding freedom. He was actually an entrepreneur and he would start his own companies and then sometimes, you know, if the company didn't work out, he would take a full-time job and do that for a little while and then start his own thing. And so he was also drawn between these two poles and realizing that what solved that for him at the time, which was he had to do things sequentially. He had to work full-time or work as an entrepreneur and that was kind of the either-or choice he had to make. It's totally different now we can do it simultaneously. <laughs> and it was wild to have that revelation. Uh, and, and so exciting to see that like, actually what I'm doing is exactly what he had in mind, what he wanted, but we just didn't have the language back then. We didn't know about portfolio careers. I mean, it's so cool that, that people are talking about this now. Hmm, that's gotta feel pretty cool to know, like to see it all kind of connect back. Um, I lost my dad uh, a little bit after college and, mm -hmm. um, 
And I think that was like a real like awakening moment for me. Um, and uh, I'm ho- I hope that I'm doing, you know, work that's in line with some of the stuff that he was interested in and stuff. And so um, that's uh, really cool to hear how the connection between uh, your dad and your work and now like you're kind of bringing that forward and stuff. And, um, and then so wait, you mentioned that there was this kind of like identity crisis and that was when what you were in law school at Harvard and getting the MBA and then you realized what? Yeah, I realized that I loved my life as a student, frankly, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that was coming to an end and I wanted to do this thing where I got to take, you know, classes in a bunch of subjects and then have the evenings free for extracurriculars and I could dance, I could do other things, socialize with my friends and the jobs that I was getting trained for, like they were super interesting and very stable in some ways, but there would be no room for any of those other sides of me and things that I had loved to do, things like dancing, things like enjoying Bollywood music, potentially even acting, which was at the time uh, something that you know I hadn't really given much thought to, those weren't going to be accessible to me anymore because I wouldn't have the time to chase all of these different aspects of myself. And so I realized like, oh my God, like bringing this back to the conversation about our dads, and by the way, I'm yeah. so sorry about your, your loss. Like, Time is very fleeting and it's very precious. And my dad, maybe also your dad, uh, had a plan for later after the work. He was planning to retire. He was planning to travel. And he had a bit of a deferred life plan. And I didn't feel confident that the future was going to be available for me, that I could just rely on these like endless decades of after work. I can follow my passions in my 50s and 60s and beyond. And so I thought, oh, my God, you know, I'm young now, I'm interested in these things, like I can take a little bit of risk. Now might be the time. So we got to this moment where after I had graduated law school and business school and taken the bar, I was about to get ready to start my law firm job. And I realized like, okay, maybe I can just like scratch the itch in a little way uh, of trying something different. Like Mm -hmm. maybe try this acting thing that looks amazing from a distance. So I made this trip to India with the three weeks of vacation I had before my job was supposed to start. And I visited family, and then I also took an acting class and happened to go for an audition, which led me to get a talent management contract and then faced, like, the actual decision, which was, oh, my God, like, stability or freedom. Like, I can do this unknown road of acting and I don't know where this leads or I can take a job that's very similar to what my classmates are doing and follow a much more linear path. And... For me, this idea of not being able to rely on delayed gratification any longer and also having different parts of myself that I've enjoyed expressing throughout and wanted to continue expressing, uh, those were so pressing for me. I had to take the chance and I had to move to India uh, and, and try out acting. And so you tried it out. I tried it out, yeah. And that was, wow, that could be another book in itself, quite the adventure. <laughs> yeah? What, what do you think you... Ha- what do you think you most learned about yourself from that trip? The thing that surprised me most was that I was going to India and I wanted to act. And you think like, oh yes, in Bollywood, like she wants to be a heroine, she wants to be a movie star. And that sounded like the dream, that maybe Mm. what I was chasing initially when I went there. But when I got there, I very quickly needed cash. I had six-figure student loans and was not making a lot of money from my auditions at all. (laughs) I'll leave it at that, but... um, 
uh, yeah, I needed cash quickly. And so I started pitching myself as a freelancer to companies to come on as like a consultant and do like strategy work for them. Yeah. And then I ended up like spending my mornings working on these remote roles and then in the afternoons going for auditions. And I realized that was my dream job, which I had no idea. I loved the analytical stuff just in smaller doses. And I loved being able to do the creative stuff also in like a smaller dose and being able to toggle back and forth between the two. That was actually the ideal. And I didn't know A, that that was possible or B, that that would be my favorite thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm hearing like a little bit of a recurring theme here of, um, and I'm curious to hear how you kind of think about this, like, Harvard in in some ways, you know, a dream to many people, maybe it was a dream to you. Um, I think there was like a postcard they used to have um, kind of reminding you or like helping you visualize Harvard. And then you went to India and you were saying like, I thought this was going to be the dream job. Um, what do you think is kind of the, the, the dream job now? Or what, 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 what do you think that that means of these things that you thought were the dream job, but then when you actually went and did them, they were different? I think one of the things that is so interesting is how we think about the goals we're chasing in life. And what I learned about myself through this journey is that we really need not just a portfolio of careers, but a portfolio of goals to be chasing and to be working on. And I took inspiration from this book that uh, James Carville and Paul Begala wrote a couple decades ago, but they talk about... um, well, they talk about rabbits and antelopes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that pause. People can't see the look on your face, but you're like, uh, well, should I say this? Yeah, I'm going to say this. <laughs> oh, God. It's a safe space, I'm hoping. <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, yeah, so they talk about rabbits and antelopes on the savannah, and a lion can chase both of those. are super powerful lions. But if they chase after rabbits, they're going to spend way more in energy running after the rabbits and they're going to get back in nutrition. And eventually they're going to starve and wither away. So they need to chase something bigger. They need to chase the antelopes and not get distracted by the rabbits. And I think it's totally similar for freelancers. Uh, For freelancers, I'd say we need something else. We need the rabbits. Absolutely. Those are like the small little tasks that feel good to cross off your to-do list. But they're a lot of busy work and they're not very high uh, ROI. We also need the antelopes. Those are like the medium-sized tasks that, you know, uh, keep the lights on. They really are your bread and butter. They're like the the medium-sized clients that keep you going for a few months and sustain you uh, midterm. But we also need something much larger. And in our freelancing savannah, so to speak, I think we need a giraffe. We need Mm. something that's really way out on the distance that we can focus our energy toward maybe attaining. And all of our smaller goals might ladder up to this big one. But that feeling of chasing something gives a sense of purpose that's so exciting and so meaningful to so many people. I actually interviewed a couple of freelancers who caught their giraffe. And afterward, it was this really kind of disorienting moment. So one person was a ballet dancer and he was, you know, he worked, he was um, actually grew up quite poor in Hawaii in the 1940s or so, 1930s, maybe. Uh, He's 85 now. So uh, a while and he didn't have any access to dance, but he saw it on the movies and he said, I want to do that. He made his way to the mainland, to a ballet school, to a dance company, and then worked his way up to become a principal dancer at one of the top New York companies and toured Mm. around the world. And he caught his giraffe. And this was the peak that he trained his entire life for. And afterward, he said, okay, like, now what? You know, I have, 
I peaked at like maybe dancers peak around 30. So he peaked at 30 and he had 50 plus years of career left. And what do you do with that time? Mm. How do you find meaning and recreate it again? And that's an exercise that we go through over and over again because we have this deep need to be chasing something that's a little outside of our grasp that forces us Mm. to grow. And so bringing it back to your question about Harvard, about Bollywood, uh, I think that, yes, having something on the horizon that's really hard is super motivating. And all of those things were dreams and catching them was absolutely super satisfying. But once you reach that point, you need to find something else to motivate you and something else to work toward. And uh, for me, the next one was the book and getting all of this together into something that is uh, accessible and can bring the idea of the freelance mindset to people who maybe either have not heard of it before, don't know anyone else who's doing it, or just don't feel like they have permission to chase their own dreams for whatever reason that they're going through. And I think that we're always in this process of reinventing ourselves and finding the next next dream and working our way towards something. So it is a theme, but I think it's quite, kind of intentional at this yeah. point. Yeah. Well, I mean... It's two days after the book's out, so what's the new giraffe? <laughs> I feel bad asking that, but it also seems like, you know, like you were chasing a feeling um, and probably the book was a part of it and now the book's out and... I don't know. Is there a new feeling you're chasing now? Yeah, that's such a great question because this idea of like, we oftentimes think we're chasing outcomes, but we're Mm. actually chasing feelings. And I know you've probably said this many times, but it was something that I had to discover that I was Mm. uh, chasing both outcomes and feelings, but absolutely Mm. the feeling was a big, big part of it. Um, But I don't think I've quite caught the giraffe just yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm close. I'm honing in. The book exists and it's out. But I mean, the giraffe is still getting the word out and getting to share this and getting to meet the other freelancers who uh, have carved out this amazing career for themselves and are kind of sitting at this intersection, many of them, between being corporate and creative and figuring out how to balance the two because we live in this world where... uh, many many of us don't have patrons for the arts anymore and we have to be our own patrons and we Mm -hmm. have to be able to find that little rock of stability while also being able to I don't know like fly a kite or do something frivolous (laughs) at the same time I'm a metaphor is getting totally away from me I'm loving it I'm loving it I'm loving it (laughs) I swear I put my good stuff in the book (laughs) (laughs) you haven't slept probably this whole week so um you know I, I like the kite um, I Thank used to fly you. the kite with my dad. So. Oh, okay, wonderful. I didn't know that, but maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the giraffe is not quite here yet. But, I mean, writing was just a phenomenal experience. It's something that I didn't know I liked mm. to do in school because somebody else was always telling me what to write about. Mm. And so I, I just associated it with all-nighters and uh, deadlines. And we're here after maybe some all-nighters. <laughs> but, um, you know, getting to... Uh, be on the other side of school and realize, oh, I can actually just write about things that I find interesting and explore concepts of my own. Suddenly, I love to write and Mm. would be spending more and more hours on that. So the next giraffe, I think, is probably an extension of this and getting to dive deeper in the concepts here and uh, also like working on the craft of writing, which is something that, yeah, I just, I love from a very deep place. Mm. All right. Um... You could have easily said, like, David, I published this book two <laughs> days ago. So that's like, come on. Like, do you know how much time and effort and soul I put into this? But, um, you know, I love how you're already kind of thinking about, you know, what the extension of Next looks like. Um, and diving into the craft of writing. Um, 
Wait, I, I think I saw this in the acknowledgement, and it got me laughing. What is Shut Up and Write? <laughs> oh, that's this amazing group that I discovered during the pandemic, but they've been around a little bit longer. Uh, so during the pandemic, I was, you know, it was a great opportunity. There was nowhere to go, and I had this book in mind, and I was supposed to sit down and write the proposal and then the book, and I just wasn't getting anything done. I was procrastinating like nobody's business, and I came across Shut Up and Write, and it's this group of people now on Zoom, now also in person, mm. who meet at the designated time every day or every week. They say hello. Maybe they tell you what you're working on. And then they literally shut up and write. It is the most amazing <laughs> thing. For 90 minutes, everyone just focuses, goes on mute, does their thing. And then at the end, sometimes people will check out and say how it went. Uh, but yeah, having that community and finding other writers who are also doing this in the midst of you know, full-time jobs, caretaking, whatever it is they have going on in their portfolio, in their life, uh, was the biggest like blessing of all because writing is such a solitary activity, like being a freelancer and being able to find that virtual co-working, that sense of connection and community, uh, especially when you have a hard day of writing. Maybe you got some feedback that wasn't so easy to mm -hmm. receive. Maybe you're blocked and other people are there in the trenches alongside you fighting their own battles, but also supporting you at the same time. It was amazing. Cool. All right. I had to ask about that. It's like a great branding. As someone who doesn't have, is always kind of like struggling with branding and design. I saw that and I was like, ah, that is brilliant. <laughs> um, one thing I also wanted to talk about, well, a couple of things, but um, I, talk, talk to us about how you kind of see um, this, you know, obviously the book's called The Freelance Mindset. And like sometimes like freelancing gets kind of like a bad rap. Um and, um, but to me, it seems like you're really, um, kind of comparing in a good way, kind of the, uh, positive narrative or the positive benefits that like entrepreneurs get or, or being called a founder. Um, yeah. How do you kind of see, uh, how do you see the difference between a freelancer and an entrepreneur? And are there ways that like for the freelancer that's listening to this, that's like, ah, like, oh, I'll take the smallest, you know, smallest project possible and kind of feels maybe sometimes feels kind of small because like they're just kind of like grabbing whatever they can get. Um, yeah. Why do you think like, or how do you think freelancing is actually like a powerful thing? I think one of the most challenging things for freelancers is that entrepreneurship is fetishized in our society and freelancing is stigmatized. And the thing is that... Can you say that again? That's so good. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Entre entrepreneurship is fetishized in our society and freelancing is stigmatized. And the thing is, the skills are so similar. <laughs> People don't realize, right? To be an entrepreneur, what? You're building a company, you're leading a team, you're growing and wearing multiple hats, and then you've got this vision and you're moving forward. And as a freelancer, you're doing so many of the same things. You have to sell every project, you have to market yourself, you have to negotiate mm -hmm. the contracts, do your finances, set the price, do your taxes, and it goes on and on and on. And then you have to do the thing that you actually sold, which is a completely different <laughs> skill. <laughs> so that's incredible. Sell the work and then you have to do the work. Yeah. yeah. And then like do all the um, administrative work to make all of that happen. Like it's incredible. People don't realize like how talented this, this one is something that uh, Ramitha Ravi, a freelancer I interviewed said, but like people don't realize how talented you have to be to decide to be a freelancer and then survive as a freelancer. You have to be so resourceful, so resilient. And people need to get that credit. But I think the difference between entrepreneurship and freelancing is 
is around the vision because entrepreneurship, the vision that you sell is around growth in a very tangible sense, like your valuation or uh, market penetration or something that can be quantified in a number that has a huge scale and is trying to dominate. For freelancing, the vision is so deeply personal that it's very challenging to mm. communicate sometimes. Sometimes freelancers are chasing that kind of growth and want to create a freelancing company and they see themselves as entrepreneurs but other freelancers are doing it because the vision is around the ideal life not the ideal business and that ideal life might mean things like uh, one woman who we uh, discuss in the book whose vision of success is having the mornings free to walk her dog and the afternoons flexible so she can you know have coffee breaks and you know be relaxed and she worked really hard in the corporate world and then architected her her schedule to be able to allow for both of those things and so those visions don't necessarily align immediately and they need to be articulated and I think that's why it's hard sometimes for freelancers to communicate all the value they're doing in order to create this other vision which is not necessarily what people mm -hmm. are measuring freelancers against and what do you what would you say is your vision for success these days I think for me, I really need both the corporate and the creative. Mm. And I thrive when I get to toggle back and forth between both sides of my brain. And so my vision for success is is basically what I was doing in India uh, or have been doing recently, which is spending like some designated part of my time, maybe half the time, on some corporate work that's really analytical, rig rigorous in one more linear fashion, and then having enough time, at least a third of my time available to me, to be able to stretch as a creative, to imagine and to play and to also persevere. So recently it was with writing the book, but it can be things like acting or learning something new. I, I took up painting in the pandemic, and that, that edge is always changing, but being able to stretch in that way uh, is my vision of success. Okay. What do you think's been the hardest part um, in your 10-year freelancing journey? I think I am really inspired by some work around the shadow. And um, that's a concept that makes its way a little bit into the book, but I'll introduce it here. Uh, I worked with a coach, Kristen Sargent, who I did interview in the book. And she is also a freelancer, but she's also... Um, an expert around coaching and, and shadow work. And another great place you can find this work is in the documentary Stutz, uh, which is on Netflix, Jonah Hill and uh, her mentor, uh, Phil, Philip Stutz, I believe. Uh, anyway, they, they go into this in great detail. But the idea is that you're always up against some other part of yourself. So there's the life force and there's the part of yourself that is, um, well, Thanatos is what, what it's called in, in psychology. But coming up against your shadows and your own personal mm. challenges is something that you always need to struggle with and those edges will change. So for me, when I first started freelancing, what my shadow looked like was a lot of imposter syndrome. And there was a lot of shame for me around the fact that I had graduated law school and business school and was doing neither law or business. I actually avoided my friends. From Harvard. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that too. Oh my God. <laughs> Do you have to remind me? <laughs> um, you avoided your friends. 
I avoided my friends. I was living in Mumbai and there were a bunch of people from my class who lived there and I didn't meet them because I didn't want to tell them like, oh, I'm, I'm acting now and I'm, I'm going for auditions and I'm trying this out. I thought, oh my God, these people are really going to judge me. What are they going to think? Like, am I even a legitimate actor? I didn't go to school for this. And so that was, that was the first shadow and that was like getting permission to chase that dream. And then the shadow evolves and, mm. you know, when I was writing the book, it was, um, do I have permission to talk about freelancing? And, you know, I'm just one freelancer and I've had a very specific experience, which was then what led me to interview 50 other freelancers and learn about their journey. But uh, I'm calling it the shadow. I think another way that's more popularly described is imposter syndrome and really understanding how you can come to the table when you don't necessarily see other people in the same role as you or who have the same path as you and you don't have a model to work off in that sense and so when you're charting the path for the first time on your own that can be really intimidating and you can get distracted by a lot of other people's opinions and and perspectives so learning how to overcome that and and really put the blinders on to focus on what it was I wanted to do I think has been the hardest part of my freelancing career mm. the shadow um, so then connecting with other people because yeah because 10 years ago there wasn't that many other people that had, um, or like there wasn't, people were on Twitter, or LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, sounds like you connected with a bunch of different people, April being one. Um, and and then you all, you talked about portfolio careers with, with April in the book, um, which was really cool. I like the flower analogy um, that was used there. Um, anything about portfolio careers that you want to share since, you know, it's mentioned in the book? Yeah, I just want to give April, uh, who you mentioned, a shout out. April Rin, uh, she came up with this analogy of a flower, which, uh, which you described. But uh, she is a fantastic portfolio careerist and is actually how David and I have found each other. <laughs> I sent her, I heard her on a podcast and sent her a cold email and, wow, learned about portfolio careers. And now my, my mind has been blown for <laughs> several years now <laughs> with this concept. But uh, April describes portfolio careers as a flower, which means that um, it's constantly growing and blossoming every time you add a new petal. And one of the things that I wanted to explore was when you have a portfolio career, how can you grow? So this new petal is a really great way because when you add something new to your portfolio, your portfolio, as she puts it, gets you know, more beautiful and richer. Uh, it becomes much more multifaceted. The other way of growing your career with a portfolio is the portfolio itself, each segment can expand. So it's not just the addition of a new pedal, but the pedal itself can get bigger. Uh, and so to make that a little more concrete, um, I'll bring back the example of this woman I spoke to who's a pharmacist slash actor slash dancer slash all the other things. Uh, within each of those, she can grow, uh, which for example, as an actor means, you know, taking an upper level class, taking uh, a new workshop or also booking a bigger role and getting a recurring, getting a national commercial, yeah. et cetera. Or for her, the other way she grew was adding something new to her portfolio. And the most recent addition was photography, which was a hobby. And then it became more of a side hustle as she started to formalize how much it meant to her. Uh, but this idea of portfolio careers, it really frees us from the either or thinking that I think, um, I and many others grew up around with our career that I, I kind of inherited this idea that you were supposed to try a bunch of things, maybe get yeah. a liberal arts education and then figure out what you love and specialize in that so you can climb some linear ladder. And it turns out, no, I mean, you can continue trying a bunch of things and growing those things and getting deeper in them without having to give up 
the other elements of your portfolio. So uh, thank you so much for the work you do on portfolio careers. I mean, this is such a service. I was out there creating my own portfolio career, not knowing anyone else. And then, you know, hear this call from the mothership, which was your podcast. <laughs> Again, with my metaphors, I swear they're better in the book. But <laughs> no, no, they're great. Uh, yeah, thank you. How, how do you, um, I'm really impressed with the way that you're able to recall all these different stories and examples. Um, do you have like a, a certain learning style or a certain learning approach or uh, like a recall method? I don't know. Like I'm really like uh, impressed with your ability to just like quickly, we've like moved around a lot of different places and then you brought in analogies and stuff like that. Do you, I don't know, is there a certain way that you like process information or absorb information or a way to like relearn things or? For memory, um, for the interviewers uh, in particular, or interviewees rather, um, that was a verbal conversation and then I had notes that I was typing and then I also used um, one of these softwares that will create a transcript as well. So I got to read those and read my notes and so I was processing it like probably three, four different ways at the same time or shortly thereafter. Uh, So that helped, but really what I've learned about memory over the years is that things that you have an emotional connection to Mm. that are emotionally charged are just much more salient and much easier to come back to. And that was not hard with these freelancers because these were my dream freelancers to interview. Mm -hmm. They were doing such a diverse range of things Careers that I didn't know existed, didn't know were possible. I mean, I would meet somebody and be like, whoa, that person is, uh, like Ramitha, for example, who we talked about, is a professional dancer. Uh, she's a professional ballerina, jazz, commercial dancer, also a designer uh, for startups, also a startup founder herself. And I was like, oh my God, how are you doing all those things? So everything she was telling me was a revelation. And that happened over and over again with each person I spoke to, these combinations I hadn't seen before, and I never met the person who was doing them. Uh, so they were all like pretty emotionally charged <laughs> for me. <laughs> and I can guarantee this conversation will be right up there <laughs> too. <laughs> um, all right, I like that a lot. Um, and so, all right, and so then 10 years ago you were freelancing, then a bunch of people started asking you about kind of how you were freelancing. Um, then you started like teaching them and then, then during the pandemic you started, then you decided to write this book, you interviewed these other people. And so we talked a little bit about how um, kind of that shift, but is there anything else you want to say about kind of like the why now or like what about right now is like particularly like appealing or that you think uh, more people should do? I started working on this book in 2019 and I was just starting to crystallize what freelancing meant to me and, and within my friend group. And then the pandemic happened and suddenly millions of people were freelancing and it was, uh, for many of them, it was not by choice, but uh, it was something that they hadn't been planning for until the pandemic kind of put them in this position. And so I really wanted to understand what what does freelancing look like for them? And now that all of us are doing it in such large numbers, um, I've seen the latest numbers, I think maybe half of uh, millennials have some sort of freelancing component or are thinking about freelancing. And for Gen Z, the majority of those in the workforce are already uh, with uh, creating careers with side hustles and with portfolios. And that is becoming the career of the present. It's not the career of the future mm. anymore. And so I wanted to understand what's happening at scale. Uh, things are... Are different. I mean, freelancing compared to entrepreneurship may be stigmatized, but it's not yet mainstream. We don't quite know what the freelance um, career looks like over decades 
at scale. You know, we know it for individual people. We're also learning how employers can manage freelancers because now they have a workforce of people who are very, like, rightfully so, empowered to follow mm. their side hustles and their passions and also do their day job and, and really try to negotiate the boundaries between the two. So what does that look like and how will uh, smart employers empower their uh, workers to be able to wear both hats and to be full human beings and also do their job and do the work that they're getting paid to do. So for freelancers, I mean, the why now is it's really, really great that we can find this community and find each other in an unprecedented way. We didn't have this opportunity even five years ago to find each other at scale through social media, through things like your podcast and, and I, your book. And my, oh my God, <laughs> how did I forget the freelance mindset? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and it's just a really special moment because the way we're working and the way we're evolving as human beings is changing so much for the better, and I'm so excited for it. Hell yeah. Um, before you let people know where they can learn about the book and stay in touch, um, is there anything else you want to share? Or is there anything else you think you know the person that's listening should go do right now? I think uh, pay attention to your fear if you're listening to this. Mm. I think that a lot of people have fears about freelancing, and they're not unfounded. Freelancing can be really difficult. It can be challenging. But the reason the fear is there is to help you prepare and to understand how to manage your risk. And if you do it properly with risk management, freelancing doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. We, we have a lot of binaries in our society, but we can be ands. We don't have to be either or. And you can take little steps in the direction that is exciting to you. You don't have to quit your job. Or if you're laid off, you don't have to stop searching for a full-time job. Uh, you can incorporate little elements, carve out a certain amount of hours that you think seems reasonable to focus on this dream of yours, and continue to grow that. I mean, it might be a rabbit, a tiny little goal now, <laughs> and it may become an, an antelope as you start to get momentum. It can expand. Uh, so keep an eye on that and, and take small steps. I think the important thing is to just keep in forward motion and, and keep moving. Cool. And where can people keep moving towards your information in your corner of the internet and yeah uh find me on my website at joy batra that's b-a-t-r-a dot com i'm on social media uh at joy batra everywhere and the book the freelance mindset is finally out that's so yes. exciting <laughs> i'm literally holding it right yes now. oh my god it's got post-its and everything i can't believe it <laughs> And they're not mine. <laughs> yes, and so that's available online anywhere you can buy books. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank you for having me. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much. 